When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the second and final part of a two-part Frightful, exploring a terrifying and little-known paranormal haunting case from California, 1996. The Emminger family have moved from Anaheim to Fremont, and are delighted to discover the previous tenants have left a handsome sofa behind. Yet, when Patricia Emminger lasers on the sofa one night, she sees a strange shadow figure moving through the room, and she can sense that this figure hates her. Now, this malevolent presence has become fixated on the children, and the normally loving son, Mark, is acting cruel and aggressive towards her. What has gotten into him? After a night of bizarre supernatural activity, Patricia, Dad Gary, and Aunt Carrie will gather together to try and figure out what horrors might come next. That's tonight on Frightful. I'm Peter Laws, and this is the Demon of Fremont. The night drew in, and as the kids were sleeping in their room, the three grown-ups were once again sitting at the kitchen table, nervously drinking coffee and trying to figure out just what was going on with their son, and why he had developed this sudden personality change. Gary was adamant this was not a supernatural occurrence. Even at a young age like this, their poor son was clearly having some sort of mental breakdown. And all the talk of ghosts was just an element of that, a hallucination, a delusion perhaps. And as hard as it was to come to terms with, they had to get the boy psychological help. Patricia listened to him, and when he had finished, she quietly shook her head. And she said, No, no, this is clearly not natural. Something is in this house, and it might be in Mark himself. Gary just blew out a frustrated gasp. If it really was a haunting, he said, how come he and his sister Carrie hadn't seen anything? Now, Carrie had been sitting in this conversation quietly, but then she spoke up at this point. She said, Patricia, what if it is psychological? What if Mark just hates going to nursery and just wants to be at home with his mother? You're out of work so much and you're leaving him in this new house and this new neighborhood. What if Mark's just angry towards you and he's lashing out? Couldn't that explain his behavior? This theory did actually strike a chord with Patricia, who mulled over. Many mothers have working mother's guilt, unfortunately. And it did make a sort of sense. What happens if he was angry because he'd felt abandoned in some way? What if the shadows she had seen were just part of her own stress with the big move to Fremont? Could that mean the answer was simple? For Patricia to spend much more time with her boy? If she stepped back from work a bit, was that even possible? Money was tight after the move, but the situation was so serious, 
And Gary thought about it and said actually they would be okay financially if she was to quit work at least until Mark got settled in this new community. For a small child, that can be an incredibly stressful experience. And so it was decided there at the kitchen table. This was their son. He was clearly in distress. And so Patricia would quit her job at the dentist. And she did. The next day, in fact. She handed in her notice and explained the situation, saying that she really hoped the job might be still available once her son was more settled in, but right now he needed her. And that night, after everybody went to bed, Patricia found herself again, staying up, just waiting to see if Mark might call out in fear in the night, and she would be there for him immediately, and he would know that from now on he could count on her being there for him. But as the minutes ticked by, her hope started to grow, because he didn't cry out, and she thought, wow, maybe he's feeling settled already, now he knows that I'm going to be leaving work. But just as she thought that, something in the room changed. The temperature plummeted. Now this is a common occurrence in paranormal cases so much that it can sound like a cliche, but just imagine what that must feel like. To be sat in a normal room which feels warm and cozy, for it suddenly to plunge into icy coldness with no reason for it. No open window or no swinging door. The idea of being able to put your hand on a radiator and feel it pumping out heat, even while you shiver and see your breath in the air. It's not natural. And so when it happened in that moment, Patricia's heart plunged too. She stared around the room. Knowing the hateful presence had stepped in again, and sure enough, as she looked around the room, she saw it again. The shadow from that first night, only one week ago. Only this time, the figure was taking on new features. Where before it had been a pure shadow of darkness, now, as she felt herself shaking with fright, she began to see a lighter color emerge amongst the shadow. She gradually began to discern a sense and shape of hands developing in the darkness, and then... A face with features. Only the more this shadow became a figure, a human, a man, a something. And she just stood there, trembling as she saw weird, tight yellow skin and long hair over the shoulders start to appear. And she looked at its hands and she saw those hands rise and reach out to her thin and spindly fingers grasping towards her like claws. And worst of all, were its eyes, these vile and angry eyes, staring not just at her, but into her, even as its mouth began to curve up in a demonic grin. Oh my god. It was the exact same brutal smile she'd seen on her son on the day he had refused the toy she'd bought for him. She'd been right. This entity had the ability to take possession of people. What if it was about to take possession of her right now? She staggered back and the thing began to fade away and she watched its cruel face sink into shadow and then it was gone and the room was warm again. 
Once the thing was gone, Patricia leapt out of the sofa and she pushed through the living room door, pounding her feet up the stairs as she breathlessly made it to the children's room. And thankfully, Mark was lying in bed, peacefully sleeping. So an emotional Patricia gently sat on that bed and carefully picked Mark up, cradling him as he slept. And she just rocked him backwards and forwards, willing the evil in the house to stay away from Mark, to stay out of Mark. But then something made a sound in the hallway, and she braced herself for the spirit to come striding down that hall and push into the room. Instead, she heard a shrieking cry from Aunt Carrie, and her terrifying words shot through the house. And she said, My God, Patricia, I saw it. The kids seemed to sleep through the outburst, so Patricia set Mark back in bed and hurried to find Carrie. And when she did, she managed to tell her all that had happened. Steiger's record of the incident says that Carrie said this. I was in the kitchen, warming some milk to help me sleep, and saw that thing take shape. What was it? You might think that Patricia would have shuddered in fear, but instead, her eyes filled with tears because finally another adult in the house had seen it, meaning Patricia was not going mad after all. She hadn't somehow influenced Mark to see these things. The fact was, there was a hateful spectre walking these hallways. But any sense of relief was soon replaced by a feeling of extreme dread because Aunt Carrie added that she had that similar sense that Patricia had of somehow knowing the attitude and intentions of this shadow spirit. And so Aunt Carrie whispered, It wants Mark, doesn't it? It wants Mark. And together they went to wake Gary up. He'd have to believe it now. They assumed their usual position in the kitchen, chugging coffee and discussing the terror of it all. And despite his wife and children and now his own sister seeing something clearly paranormal, Gary was still struggling to accept what they were saying, that they were living in some sort of haunted house with the presence of a malevolent ghost or even, could it be, a demon? But as he sat there hearing these experiences, there was little else he could do These were the two most important women in his life. He loved and respected them. And he knew full well that there was absolutely no reason for them to lie about this. This couldn't be a prank, not when the situation was causing so much genuine mental anguish to Mark. And so he shook his head and he just said, what else can I do? If you both say you've seen that thing, then I believe you. Then they started to discuss how on earth they might respond to such a frightening and unpredictable situation. And Patricia started to share a theory she'd been considering. She had the sense that this spirit was somehow feeding on the intense emotions that had been running through the house lately, and there'd been plenty of them. Like the stress of it all was somehow energizing this spirit. That is an idea that has been suggested in many other paranormal cases. And so they agreed together that if the spirit fed on their stress and fear, they'd somehow try to starve it. They would attempt to act completely normal and not show any fear at all. And so the next day came and the next evening rolled in, 
and the family were sitting together at their meal, trying hard to be normal, though it's rather a large ask when you've realised you're sharing your house with a malevolent, possibly even demonic spirit. Especially when, at the table, Mark's face started to sink and contort into his normal luck, that twisted scowl that they'd come to recognise. And Aunt Carrie was trying her best too, but she had seen the thing now, and so she could no longer dismiss it as all being in Patricia's head, and so she clinked her fork against her plate as she ate, desperately trying to hide her genuine fear. At one point, the account says that Patricia noticed clearly that when Aunt Carrie passed a bowl of mashed potatoes across the table, she was visibly shaking. After this tense and awkward meal, the family eventually went to put the children to bed. Because of his loathing towards her, Patricia hadn't been putting Mark to bed recently, just Wendy. Gary was doing it for Mark at the moment, and this worked well. But it didn't work that night. Because as Gary was settling his son into bed, Mark suddenly glared at his father, and he hissed at him. You've been listening! Listening to her lies. You're as bad as she is, and I don't like you anymore either. Gary sat there in shock, and Aunt Carrie must have seen what happened because she came into the room to offer to help and take over. After all, Mark had never had a problem with her, but then Mark snapped his head towards his aunt and said, Why don't you just go home? No one wants you here. You're old and fat and ugly. Carrie must have been hit with shock and sadness, but also fear, because now she knew that what had just spoken to her was not the boy at all. It was the thing she saw last night, now inside the boy. It's terrifying. It's not clear if Gary scolded Mark for this outburst or what, I don't know, but what we do know is what happened next, and it was dramatic. Gary and his shocked sister left the kids' bedroom, just as a strange and frightening sound came from downstairs. And when they went down to investigate, they realized it was the windows of the living room. Oh my god. The glass panes had started to shake, which made absolutely no sense because there was no wind outside. But as they rushed up to the windows to look, there they were, rattling and pressing, like there were hands on every pane hammering to get in. And then the curtains started to move. And the three adults just stared in a state of shock as these curtains began to dance and rise and flail without a single hand even touching them. They moved in such a wild fashion that they whipped a vase to the floor, along with some family photographs in frames. And next, they heard the sound of something swishing and sliding. And when they turned, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. Books were flying off the bookshelf. Steiger says that at this point, Gary just stood there in a mixture of utter shock and deep fear, saying, this is too much, this is too much, I, I, I can't believe these things are happening. Now, Patricia was still keen on her theory that the spirit was feeding on the intense emotions of the people in the house. So when she saw Gary, frankly, freaking out, she pleaded with him to calm down and try to ignore what was happening, which is quite the ask when someone is witnessing a full-blown example of poltergeist activity right in front of them. But as she begged Gary to relax, she heard a hissing voice speaking to her, saying, You can't ignore me. I'm stronger than any of you. She quickly realized that the others 
hadn't heard this voice, only her, as if the spirit was able to get inside her head, and why not? He had done the same with Mark, after all. And so she started speaking in her mind to the thing, whether it was telepathy or something else she didn't know, but she was defiant, thinking towards this entity, saying, Get out of this house! You are not wanted here! And in response to this defiance, the thing let out a peal of cold, vile laughter. And Patricia felt a chill when she saw that this laugh was not coming from her head, because Gary heard it too, coming from somewhere in the room. Terrified, their eyes met as the laughter went on, and then it died away. As the poltergeist activity died down, Gary's response was totally understandable, but worrying. He simply couldn't handle this. He looked at Patricia and says, I, I, I can't do this. I, I'll be of no use to you anyway. And Carrie agreed with him. Look, Patricia, Gary's too frightened for this. His fear is clearly making the spirit more powerful. And so she said, let him take Wendy and leave. And Patricia was not keen on the idea of potentially being abandoned like this. And she tried to convince Gary to stay. But as she tried the two picture frames that had fallen on the floor just suddenly exploded and small shards of glass shot across the room. Gary stood there, his eyes hollow and dumbfounded, and he said, I'm sorry. And he ran upstairs to get Wendy. Now, some people might be tempted to roll their eyes at Gary for not having the ability to adapt to this situation for the sake of his family. You do have to appreciate that up to this point, he had been totally skeptical. He hadn't seen anything for himself yet. And so suddenly he sees and hears things that are simply impossible. When someone who believes in ghosts sees activity, it's frightening, yes. But for a skeptic to suddenly be faced with undeniable proof of the paranormal, it's not only frightening. It is utterly disorientating. Their entire world and all they thought they knew just crumbles, and that is scary. And so Gary left with Wendy in his arms. And so Patricia and Carrie were left in the house. And if they thought Gary leaving would help, they were wrong. Perhaps it was the sheer stress of the moment that gave the spirit much to feed on, but the window pane started rattling again. Only this time it was so violent that they thought the glass was going to shatter inwards. And once again, the curtains danced in the air on a weird wind that seemed to sweep through the room with no force making it happen. There was a Bible lying on the coffee table, and it was at this point that Aunt Carrie quickly grabbed it, desperate for a solution. Can't have been just a ghost, she thought. It must be some sort of demonic entity. And somehow this seemed to help. Because as Patricia prayed, the curtains stopped twitching and arching so high and gradually lessened and eventually fell back against the window still again. And Patricia, realizing these prayers had some sort of power, told Carrie to keep going. So she did. And then Patricia said she'd take the Bible upstairs to the children's room. The account records that Patricia said this to Carrie. I think the thing knows that tonight is its last chance to possess Mark. I feel like it's about to go after Mark with all its strength. And so Patricia took the Bible with her upstairs and entered the bedroom where Mark was sleeping. 
but as she stepped into the room, she felt the temperature plunge once more, and she turned to see the shadow slowly starting to materialize in the room yet again. Oh my god. And again it was shifting from a shadow into this awful and ugly, spindly, skinny figure with yellowy-green skin stretched across its face. It raised its arms again towards her, with fingers hooked like claws, but the more she looked, the more she knew they were claws. Last time when she saw this horrible entity, it had just stood there before dematerializing. But this time, something much more frightening happened. Rather than slowly disappearing, it took a step <gasps> forward. And it began to move, arms outstretched and grasping towards Patricia and her son. Stagger says that as Patricia looked at those claws, she somehow knew that if they were to touch her, she would lose her soul. And on it came towards them. She said as it came, she could hear it laughing. And though she was close to collapse, Patricia lifted the Bible and held it in front of her, demanding that this creature of hell would leave. And amazingly, this made the creature step back. And so Patricia started driving it back with the Bible. God's love is stronger than you are. Leave my house. And she kept on walking, pressing the creature back to the top of the staircase. And then she kept pushing as it gradually stepped back down each stair, the same stairs she had seen it rush up that first night. And eventually the thing seemed to retreat into the living room. And it was moving towards one place in particular. The sofa the one that had come with the house. She told Steiger that the closer she got to the sofa, the dimmer this creature became. And by the time she reached the sofa, this entity had lost all definition. No longer was it a clawed, skinny creature. Now it just looked like the dark, subtle shadow it had been on that very first evening. And it seemed to hover near the cushions of the sofa, and then it sank down. It faded it vanished. It was gone. There was a moment of welcome quiet, which was suddenly interrupted by a loud crash in the hallway. It was the front door opening, then slamming shut. It was Gary, back again with Wendy. He was full of apologies and said, I couldn't stay away, I had to come back and help. Patricia pointed to the sofa and Steiger says, she said, If you want to help, Get rid of that sofa now. And that's what they did. They grabbed that sofa and dragged it outside and somehow loaded it up onto one of their vehicles. And they told Aunt Carrie to stay behind to watch the children while Patricia and Gary drove across Fremont. I'm sure their eyes were always flicking up to the rearview mirror just in case a shadow might be rising again in the back. And then they reached the outskirts of the city. They found a spot making sure it wasn't near any foliage or trees, and then they dumped that sofa and sprayed it with lighter fluid. One of them flicked a match. And the sofa went up in bright, wild flames. And they waited patiently for the material to burn and the wooden frame to collapse and snap and break with the heat. And then... When it had burned enough, they stamped out the last sparks and trudged back to the car, exhausted, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. 
That night, Patricia went up to the children's bedroom and most likely held her breath as she walked inside. What if the spirit had found a home in Mark now and would then stay in there forever since the sofa was no more? But no, the children were sleeping soundly and the room felt safe and the temperature was normal. She leaned over and kissed Wendy softly on the forehead and she moved to Mark's bed and knelt down beside it. She watched him sleep more deeply and soundly than before. And as she watched him for a moment, she jumped a little as Mark rolled over onto his back. She leaned over, and as she kissed him, she sensed him kiss her back, and half asleep he whispered the following words. Good night, Mommy. I love you so much. Patricia headed downstairs. The space of so much shocking drama the night before. And then she met Gary and Carrie in the kitchen. Perhaps they were worried when they saw the tears in Patricia's eyes. But she shook her head. And she just smiled at them sinking into a chair. And all she could say was, Thank God. Thank God. We won. I wonder, where are you listening to this podcast right now? Are you out on a walk or in a car or at home, sitting in a chair or a sofa? If you're not home yet, presumably you will be soon. All I can say is be as open-minded or as cynical as you want about this eyewitness account. What I will say is, I do hope you manage to sleep tonight. Because who knows what shadows might be waiting for you in the darkness. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Frightful, the weird case of the demon of Fremont. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.